Hey there, you are listening to episode 226 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. In today's episode, I am chatting with Joe Tarnowski, the VP of Content and Global Media at ECRM. He's a longtime supporter of the work that we do here at Food Biz Whiz and a past podcast guest. Today, we are talking through our predictions for 2024 and what lies ahead for brands. Through supporting a combined tens of thousands, gosh, maybe more, of food, beverage, and taxable grocery brands in 2023, we have both studied what's working and, frankly, what's not working on shelves over the past 12 months. With that insight, the teams at Food BizWiz and ECRM RangeMe have a really strong understanding of what we might continue to see into next year, and what's going to shift in the year ahead. We've got both good news and a little bit of bad news for suppliers in the upcoming year, so let's outline it all in today's show. All right, here we go. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. All right, food and beverage founders, listen up. Your time to join us inside of Retail Ready and to get extended access through March 31st is coming to a close. I know you want to go into January feeling like you've got a rock solid plan for pitching to wholesale buyers in 2024. And I know you also want that doable, realistic quarterly marketing strategy to support your sales once you're there. But I also know that you want some downtime over the holidays. That's exactly why we're giving you extended access through March 31st. Come join our 90-day program before the end of 2023. Get that business expense on this year's books, or heck, opt into our three-month payment plan option. You do you. And then you'll get extra access through March 31st so that you can take time off over the holidays without the guilt. What better gift can you give yourself than the gift of knowing exactly what you'll do come January to kick off the new year with a plan. Let's do it together inside of Retail Ready. Click on through to the information page in the show notes, and I'll see you in there. Hey, Joe. Thanks for chatting with me again today. I'm really excited to have you back, and I'm excited to talk about predictions for 2024. Thanks for being here. Always fun to be on your podcast. Thanks for inviting me again. Of course. I feel like it was the this is the perfect time to do it, right? We're wrapping up 2023. You and I have both worked so closely with so many brands over the past, I mean, certainly over the past year, over the past five years, 10 years, 15 mm-hmm. years, 20 years. And I know you went and conferred with your team. Mm-hmm. I went and asked our retail ready community and our aligned service providers and all of that. And we We've got a lot to talk about, about what's going to happen in 2024. You yep. ready for and, it? And uh, looking forward to it. And, you know, the other thing that's cool, and, and you know, this is probably one one uh, 
trend that we did not uh, talk about in our prep is that, you know, I've had the opportunity now that we're back in person, I've been at all of our in-person sessions over the past six months. So, uh, and, and just talking to the buyers and sellers and seeing their excitement about everything going back in person fully now, yeah. you know, that, that's, a, a, I guess, a new thing that we could add to. <laughs> Totally. And, you know, I'll give us full permission here, Joe, that we can go off script. Yeah, of course, we we have bullet pointed our predictions and what we think is going to happen in the year ahead. But I'm sure as we talk about things today, um, things will will shift a bit. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. We've got some good news and we've got some bad news. Do you think we should start with the bad news first? That's- Get that over with. Yeah. It's always good to rip off the (laughs) Band-Aid. Exactly. And I'll say, you know that I'm an eternal optimist here. So I'm going to say this is, we've got some potentially bad news, but the way I see it, and I'm curious if you agree, Joe, that the bad news is that the challenges that we're going to see in the year ahead actually aren't that new. They're challenges that we've faced in the industry for I don't want to say forever, but certainly for the past few years, some of these challenges that we're going to talk about, we saw long before COVID. And so um, they're not new. I think our listeners will be like, oh, yeah, we're still dealing with that. Or like, yeah, I I know that from listening to your podcast for years and years. So at a high level, Joe, I think that we're going to see increased challenges with or continued challenges with labor shortages. We're going to still see some supply chain hiccups in certain categories, right? And, you know, naturally, we're going to see some consolidation between and mergers, right? Between retailers. I, in my feed, I've seen that over the past couple of yep. weeks, like it's, it's coming in 2024. So do you feel like we're going to see a bit of those, those issues, those continued issues around supply chain and labor and things like that? Yep. Yep. Definitely agree with that. Uh, I mean, we all saw, uh, I mean, it's been happening before uh, the pandemic, but then during the pandemic, it kind of exacerbated it. And, you know, with labor shortages and supply chain issues, we all saw that happening. But I think some good things came out of that, even though it's really bad news. But what happened, because I actually did an, an article, I think it was last year, um, sometime late last year or early this year, where I interviewed a bunch of brands about how they're adapting to it. And what mm-hmm. I've seen is that all the challenges that they faced has actually made them get a little better at managing their inventory, their supply, finding new sources of, uh, of the materials and ingredients that they need, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sourcing closer to the manufacturing facility. So there's all these adaptations that they put into place because of it that may not be, you know, getting the results right now that they need, but will propel them to better results later on. And yeah. Um, yeah. Right. I hear you on that. And it's, you know, it, it sounds so cheesy, but it's like that phrase of what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Mm-hmm. And I think that 100%. we were, I think so many brands were, um, kind of winging it or like duct taping their supply chain, you know, together and just like hoping that it all worked out. And sure enough, COVID came along and revealed the cracks in uh-huh. in the system. So you're right, people double down on alternative supply chain, alternative channels, which we'll talk about in a moment, but um, really realized that in order to be sound, in order to be stable, that they had to shore up their supply chains. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, totally and some, agree. like, for example, there was one uh, that I spoke with, uh, one one brand, they changed the countries from which mm. they sourced, you know, to, to move them closer to their manufacturing plants to save on transportation costs and all that. Another one um, switched from outsourcing their packaging design to bringing it all in house, which I'm sure that, you know, the, the, the packaging people were not happy about that, <laughs> but for the brand, they realized it's like, wow, we got all these efficiencies now that they never had before. Yeah. And moving forward, it's going to make their business even stronger and more resilient in case something like that happens again. But yeah. like you mentioned with labor shortages and all that, you know, especially on the buyer side, they have to do more with less. And they're really resource strapped, time strapped. So if you're a brand that's dealing with them, you really got to keep that in mind that they all are, you know, overwhelmed and you you better know what you're going to present to them. You better know their business when you're presenting to them and don't waste their time. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, it's funny, Joe, because I feel like I've been spreading this message for the past 10 years of running Food Biz Whiz, right? Like buyers are busy. Buyers are um, are really uh, challenged by all of the things that they have on their plate, right? Like buyers just have so much responsibility. And, you know, I was saying that 10 years ago and then COVID came along and gosh, it just doubled, right? The responsibilities on their plate, the challenges that they're having. And yeah, I mean, we can all admit that folks in the food industry are often overworked and underpaid and really feeling like they're they're strapped at all sides. And I think that's not going away. We're, we're definitely going to see that in 2024. And so it means that wholesale buyers are simply, they simply have less patience for brands who aren't truly ready for retail. Right. And I feel like buyers don't have the bandwidth to experiment with young. I don't even want to say young brands. Um, They don't have the bandwidth to experiment with brands who aren't willing to show up in the partnership. Mm -hmm. Right. They aren't willing to test brands on the shelf as much anymore. Yeah. you know, I think they're not gonna hold your hand either. They're not gonna hold your hand. Yeah. And you know, I I think about this a lot because there are some buyers, there are good buyers who actually want to work with smaller brands mm-hmm. and nurture those brands on the shelf yeah. and help them learn. But that's the that's the minority, you know, yeah. even yeah. the the best intended, you know, buyers still have to deal with the fact that they have too much work to do and not enough hours in the day. So even with the best intentions, they they just don't have the bandwidth to do that in addition to their their full-time jobs. Yeah. And and you know to that point, I uh moderated a panel at the NGA executive conference in October and it was mm-hmm. all about the future of emerging brands. And one of the independent retailers that was on my panel Uh, mentioned, he talked about that. He's like, look, we do want to help. We want to help bring these brands on. But he also said, you know, independent retailers that are looking to do that have to realize the amount of work it is. And it's so easy. And he had a great phrase where he said, it's so easy to just scan yourself into irrelevance, right? To have that scanner and just place the reorders instead of (laughs) spending time to find, you know, but it's a balance. It's like you have to, they want to get these new and emerging brands to differentiate themselves. But at the same time, it's a lot of work. 
So they're expecting the brands to put in a lot of work as well. Yeah, totally. You know, and I just think about myself when I was a buyer, right? Let's talk about, gosh, almost 15 years ago, back at Byright on 18th Street in San Francisco, when it was the single market, my job was to find these unique products for our shelves. And that almost always meant going direct with brands, no brokers, no distributors. And so I would spend, no lie, Joe, about 20 hours a week placing direct orders. Mm -hmm. And the challenge there is that at some point, and you alluded to this, at some point, it's just not worth it. If it is, say, let's say a single skew of a hot sauce brand Mm -hmm. that sells two jars a week, Mm. you know, at $9.99, I'm making three bucks a jar. I've just made $6 a week on that hot sauce. It's not worth it. No, right? especially how much time do you have to invest in getting uh, swapping it out for uh, something else, or you know, totally. or, or putting them in, you know, totally. Or you know, I I just it's kind of heartbreaking here. I'm getting a little sad as I say this, but you know, I think about it, Joe. I'm like, okay, so let's say I were really devoted to that hot sauce producer, and I'm like, yes, this is a neighbor neighborhood brand. Like we we really want it. Like I know it can work. I think about all the time that it would take to get that person on my demo calendar, to coordinate with my team to set set those up when they want to come in and and sample, to do staff education, to hang the shelf talker, to put it in our newsletter, right? All of that. To what? Maybe I triple my sales of that Mm -hmm. and I'm making 18 bucks a week on the hot sauce, right? Like at some point you really, really have to weigh the, you know, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And so we'll see. I think we'll see this in 2024. I think we'll see, you know, unfortunately, I think with independence, we'll see them pushing brands to use local distributors, which is okay, right? But like, I think we'll just see um, retailers try to figure out ways to make the ordering, the receiving, the merchandising, all of that um, less labor intensive. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on the bad news? I feel like we just I think we've we had just enough bad news. Into it. <laughs> Let's switch up to some good news. And you know, like I, I so appreciate that you said, Joe, that even in this bad news of supply chain issues, labor shortages, um, higher expectation from your retail buyers, there is some good news there. Right there, it is forcing brands to step up, to take responsibility of their own success, to figure out how to um, diversify their supply chains and things like that. So there, I'll just be the optimist again and say like, it is in support of stronger bl- brands to begin with. Yep, I'm always a big fan of adversity because it brings out like those those brands that really, really are good, and the buyers, you know, and the retailers too. It really brings out the yeah. best of those and you know it kind of weeds out the ones that maybe shouldn't be in the market in the first place yeah or just in the market differently which i think we're gonna talk about here so i've got a couple trends let's switch to good news i've got a couple trends that i want to discuss with you joe i want to talk talk about brands doing their own thing 
and building businesses that work for them. I want to talk about uh, health and wellness flip-flops. We're seeing weird things going on in terms of health and wellness, some which we expected and some which we didn't. And I want to talk about continued category growth in low and no across the board, even beyond just you know low and no um, alcoholic beverages. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about a, a couple different ways that they show up in, in each of these things. So doing your own thing. Brands doing their own thing. So, you know, we just talked a lot about brands feeling constrained by larger retailers, brands who feel frustrated when wholesale accounts or distributors or brokers ask you to play by a certain set of rules. And I think we're going to see brands say no to that and decide to take more control of their own channel strategy, take more control of their own sales and marketing strategies as they realize that, you know, there are other options besides just co-packer, broker, distributor, national distribution, you know, uh, that route that we historically have seen people um, follow time and time again. What do you think about that? I'm seeing it um, regularly when I speak with brands for you know our blog or at our sessions you know they're very creative uh they don't they're not as necessarily beholden to that traditional path as they used to be they know especially the ones that are very savvy uh on social media that they have their own brand i know we're going to get into this a little bit but they know that they have some other options whether it's direct to consumer other channels you know one thing that we've seen a lot of um, and, and this was at our, at our recent food service session, which was really interesting, but it happens at our retail sessions as well, is that I'll talk to a brand that had maybe 30, 35 meetings and they're like, you know what? We realize there are so many different channels available to us that we never thought of before. So for example, in food service, I was talking to, uh, uh, one brand. First, they were only in retail, and now they, you know, they added food service. So that's one example, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, expanding into another type of, uh, you know, f- uh, from retail to food service operations. But even within food service, they're like perfect example. Bunch of people had Netflix on their schedules, and they're like, "What's the deal with that?" Yeah. Until they met them and realized that Netflix has. 70 offices, each with their own food service operation. Yeah. That's, uh, I think it's Wolfgang Puck Catering that handles mm-hmm. it. But these were the buyers. One buyer was for the pantry and one buyer was for the food service. So you're talking about someone that's the equivalent equivalent of a, you know, 70 restaurant chain or plus, you know, markets on top of that. And they're like, I never would have thought of you know, commercial, business and institution food service, right? Or airlines, or you have prisons. Prisons have food service. They have commissaries. But it's something that, you know, your average person wouldn't think of. But when you think of how many prisons there are, it could be a big market. So when they come to our sessions and they're exposed to these people from different channels, it really opens their eyes to the, the potential that's out there beyond the traditional retail store and restaurant. <laughs> totally. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I, I've been saying this more and more often because, you know, our program is called Retail Ready. Mm-hmm. And 
when I when I think about a strong sales strategy, it is understanding who your audience is and how you can get in front of them in a profitable way. And so it doesn't matter at the end of the day. I'll just say, I love retail, but it doesn't matter if you're doing retail. It doesn't matter if you're doing food service. It doesn't matter if it's direct to consumer. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, hospitality where you're in mini bars around the country. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't freaking care. You just have to figure out how to sell profitably in that channel. I always joke, Joe, that we should... We shouldn't have called our program retail ready. We should have called it wholesale ready. But that just is, you know, (laughs) it doesn't have the same. It doesn't have the same ring to it. The same way, yeah. It doesn't have the same ring to it. But you know, at the end of the day, if you have to convince a buyer to put your product on their shelves, in their mini bars, on their menu, use it in their commissary kitchen, any of that, Mm -hmm. that's still wholesale. Yeah, still wholesale. And so, it can be big. It can be huge. The um, the uh, another example is if anybody flies United, the shroop waffle. Well, mm, they were yeah. discovered at an ECRM session, <gasps> session, a uh, food service session. And you know, when you think of how many people fly on a daily basis on United, and that's one of the options that they yeah. get. Or when you're on any flight, I fly Delta. And, you know, mm-hmm. they they walk around with the, the you know, the trays, the snacks that yeah. they're giving away. Everybody gets one snack for free. Well, that's a lot of almonds or pistachios or whatever. And totally. somebody's sourcing them and somebody's paying a brand for those. And, yeah. and it's just thinking about yeah. those areas. Joe, we've got a retail ready student, uh, Elizabeth, with jewels under the kilt. She's a Canadian brand. Mm-hmm. And she came into retail ready being like, yeah, same thing. Like, I'm here to pursue retail. Like, it's called retail ready. We're going to do this. And sure enough, she was in our program a couple months and had this opportunity to pitch to uh, a Canadian airline. Mm-hmm. We developed her pitch frankly, using very similar strategies as retail pitches. And sure enough, she landed that airline and she does, she does nut mixes. And now she's got this really awesome airline account who's reordering, you know, on the regular, you don't have to, once you get into that account, you aren't constantly then like pitching and trying to convince people to make the sale because literally they're just and they're giving it away. The they're giving, they're it giving away. it away. <laughs> so it's a definite, it's a quote unquote definite totally. guaranteed sale. And totally. it's funny because at our food service, was it our food service session? I interviewed the buyer from Optimum Solutions mm. who actually sources for airline and rail in Canada. Oh, cool. So I don't know if they may have may, maybe. maybe they're involved, maybe, maybe they're not, but they uh, you know, so she actually gave a whole overview of how they source for the front of the plane, like first mm-hmm. class, the heated mm-hmm. meals and, all, and the back, the stuff they're going to give away and the stuff that's for purchase, right? Cause they have, yeah. they have the stuff they give away peanuts and all that stuff, but then they have the meals for purchase in the back of the plane, but then they have the first class food, which is free, but it's much more upscale. Right. And so each one, it has different qualifications, different kind of uh, criteria that they look for. So again, you know, just like you said, you know, it's there's so many opportunities for brands to get wholesale purchases, yeah. regardless of the channel. Totally. And, you know, I'll say for our listeners, I do want to give a little disclaimer that each channel 
is another big project <laughs> that you've got good, to manage. Good point. Right. Good point. And so what I what I want our listeners to take away is that one, be curious about what actually makes the most sense for your brand. Don't just fall on, fall into this trap of thinking, yeah, broker, retailer, national distribution, um, you know, going going the traditional route. We really have to examine your own product and your own channel strategy. Um, but know that if you try to do it all, every single channel, you're likely going to be spread too thin. Thin. Yeah. So this is where we want to be strategic about it, Joe. I also Attack last thing I'll say. One at a time. Yeah. Attack yeah. Exactly. One at a time, exactly. You know? One at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe go see stores first. Read mass retail. Retail. Groceries, the, yeah. Stores. You know, food service. Little by little. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm so glad that we're talking about this because one of the challenges that I see brands make, I'll just say, before they come to retail ready, is spreading too far, Mm -hmm. too fast. And it is really, it can be really challenging, really cost prohibitive to support accounts from afar, especially as you're thinking about these like bigger national accounts that are asking you to do free fills and promos and, you know, all Mm -hmm. the things, the slotting fees. And that can be really challenging for a small brand. It can be really challenging to drive trial and move off the shelf. And so I always think about this idea of going deep in your own Mm -hmm. region before you start expanding beyond. So, you know, Joe, I'll take, I'll take your suggestion here and go deep in a channel, get profitable in that channel before you start to expand beyond and beyond. beyond. And we say, we recommend the same thing. You know, we say, look, start with your local markets. Yeah. Start in your area and yeah. expand organically from there. And don't, you know, all of a sudden, oh, I want 9,000 doors at uh, CVS or Walgreens yeah. or whatever. No, because <laughs> no, then thanks. if you do something <laughs> wrong, you're bankrupt. I mean, it's yeah. that's, you know, start local, build it up from there. But also the beauty of building small and locally and focusing on one channel is you learn. You take yeah. your learnings. You have the time to get Ooh. feedback and learn. And then you could use those learnings. Plus, they're notches in your in your belt. So yeah. the more you get, the more you can pitch, you know, and you say, look, we already have these. You're in the same region. We can handle you. And then we could expand into the next region or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with that. 100% is something we do recommend to the brands before they're going into their buyer meetings. Yeah. Totally. Great. I'm glad we're aligned on that. I feel like we just need to keep saying this because it it's so easy to think like, oh, my goal is national. My goal yeah. is, is this. Um, I think we're also going to see, let's talk about another trend here. It's kind of related, but Joe, I think we're going to see more creativity in sales strategies, particularly around marketing strategies. Yep. I think, again, as Frankly, as financials feel tight, as margins feel strained and stuff, I think we'll we'll see like a movement away from outsourcing a lot of marketing, a, a movement away from, sorry, but like big marketing agencies. And I predict and I hope that we'll start seeing more or increased authenticity from brands, more of the person behind the brand. And I think especially as, you know, Joe, you and I are talking to a similar audience here where there are people behind the brands. There yeah. is a story behind the brand. And, and I think our consumers want to know that. Do you think we'll see that too? Yes. In fact, I just posted two days ago on LinkedIn, a post about authenticity because mm. authentic was 
the Merriam-Webster Dictionary Word of the Year. I didn't but know that. The, yeah. <laughs> so I put a screenshot of that okay. and I put it and I put a post. And the thing is, what's funny is most social media influencers out there are anything but authentic. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, just the, the use of filters and all. And they're trying to be their best selves. But it's the crap and hard work that you got to go through to get to that success. Everyone posts about the success. But, yeah. you know, but the real good ones and the real authentic ones are the ones that post the journey. They post the, the, the stuff that's not pretty, that shows them in the back. You know, they detail their challenges. You know, and some of the ones that I called out on there, uh, some of them were our customers. Some of them were not. But, uh, you know, like like one uh, midday squares. Right. They oh, yeah. they tr- chronicle Jake Carls is very no- well known, but he's chronicling and, and the rest of the team. They chronicle their whole in, you know, all the challenges that they face yeah. too. you know, not just the uh, um, not just the successes. Uh, of course, they celebrate the wins, but. They also celebrate the journey, you know, Genius Juice, uh, Alex Bayer. Um, there's a, a few others out there. One of our customers, uh, and this is a really interesting story about how the authenticity kind of really worked in this one brand's favor. Uh, the brand is called Felicious, right? They do mm-hmm. Vietnamese pho that you can make in 10 minutes in your home in a microwave. And uh, actually, there's two points that I want to illustrate about okay. them. One that kind of goes back to what we talked about. But um, they had a deal with a major national retailer and they went from a 1700 square foot facility to a 10,000 square foot facility. But right after they signed the lease on that new facility, the buyers changed desks and they had a six month wait before. So he was like, I've seen this a lot, Joe. Yeah. So what he did was he went to TikTok and started making live videos, live TikToks, of him making the stuff and <laughs> talking about, you know, and that boosted his D2C sales enough to carry him over until they were set to go. And now, now they're in play. But, you know, but also the same guy, his name is Joseph Truesdale, uh, going back to our alternate channels thing. Mm-hmm. Well, he was purely DTC and retail, and mm-hmm. that's it. And he went to, there was a, I think there was a sourcing campaign that we had with uh one of the big food service distributors and they told them they're like listen we love what you're doing can you make it for restaurants he never thought of it before but then he went back to the drawing board and created the recipe that he could make hundred gallon things with and now he's in food service so you know but that's and again but so he's become an influencer in his own right there's another guy uh, Pacino Signature Line. They do a bunch of men's uh, personal care, uh, beauty mm-hmm. products, and personal mm-hmm. care. And uh, this guy's got like uh, almost nine hundred thousand followers on Instagram. Wow. And but he does, you know, again documents the whole journey. But he's also talks about um, he he promotes the retailers that his stuff is in. Yes. He'll go into the stores. He'll yes. you know bring the traffic there. Tell them you can find it at Target, at this place, at that place. You know, and then the other thing is that they're not afraid. They they also talk about things that maybe don't have anything to do with their business, but that yeah. their audience is interested in. You know, a lot yes. of them, yes. wellness, they're, they're talking about uh, Mark Samuel, uh, yeah. I Want Organics. He's always talking yeah. about his workouts. He developed a, that uh, um, uh, ice bath, the portable ice bath yeah. thing. <laughs> you know, so uh, you have other ones, another retailer that I called out in my authentic- authenticity thing is Bristol Farms, uh, uh, Darren. Mm-hmm. 
he does beautiful artwork. And he oh. shares that with people. You know, it gives you another side of them. It makes them feel, it makes you, makes it feel like you know them personally. And people forget that you know, the way I look at LinkedIn is LinkedIn is an, it's like no different than a um, networking function, right? Mm -hmm. You're at a networking mm -hmm. function, you're having cocktails or dinner with a group of people. What are you going to talk about? It's not all going to be business. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, maybe you're a pickleball fanatic, right? right. You post a little bit about pickleball. Maybe there's somebody in the audience that you've been trying to reach that hasn't been getting back to you. That's also a pickable fanatic. Yes. Now all of a sudden you connect and then you got that conversation. You never know. Totally. And I feel like it's, you know, this is a result of, of COVID too, right? People have had three long years of isolation of, you know, online, everything, you know, of yep. the increase of AI of, you know, just optimization and streamlining of everything. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing, you know, I, I think the pendulum really swung in one direction. And I think we're seeing it starting to swing to the other side as people really crave that, I mean, that authenticity. They mm -hmm. crave a real connection. I think we're seeing people want in-person events, mm -hmm. a, um, an offline real experience. And so yeah. I think about these, these brands, you know, you've got great examples here, Joe, but building a brand that connects with a consumer on multiple level levels, mm -hmm. like way beyond just your product line. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, it's good news for our listeners because it means you don't have to create content about your brand all day, every day. You can just show up as yourself. Yeah. And it keeps and them that's loyal the thing. outside. That's the thing. Yeah. It keeps them loyal outside of it. Uh, yeah. One example I used, um, there's a brand called Fire Department Coffee. They're blowing mm -hmm. up. They're yep. all, you know, it's uh, veteran owned and they're all current or retired firefighters. And so they have a huge, they have a 10 million person, people following uh, because they do something called Fire Department Chronicles, right? Mm. They do spoofs on what life is like in a fire department. <laughs> so now I met a couple of uh, a couple of my friends in the neighborhood of New York City firefighters, and yep. I hooked them up. And, uh, you know, uh, my friends at FDC sent them a bunch of coffee and swag and stuff. Cool. Now, I ran into my friend uh, a, a week, uh, two days before I went to present with Fire, Depart fire Department Coffee, who's one of the brands on my panel. And I ran into my buddy on the train. He's still wearing the fire department coffee hat that he got yes. a year ago. And he yes. says his whole fire crew wears it. You know, I mean, that kind of a loyalty goes beyond the products where they're like proud to be supporting the brand, you know, and there are a lot of brands that I am like that with, you know, clothing, you know, I'm a big fan of Jocko and origin, got my mm -hmm. origin jeans, got my origin wallet, my <laughs> origin belt. Cause I know I met the people who made it. I yeah. went to the factory in Maine. I met the people. I saw the people who do the leather, who do the, you know, mm -hmm. so, and then it just, it keeps, it, it, like you said, it, it builds that loyalty that goes beyond just the products. Totally. And, you know, that's really setting yourself up for, for line extensions too, mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, if you build that loyal following, then let's say you're a cereal brand, all of a sudden you're like, okay, we're going to dip our toes into mm -hmm. Overnight oats, yeah, your your audience is ready and like willing to buy whatever you are putting out there. Yeah. 
So we do think that this is good news. And I think the takeaway that I want our audience to have here, Joe, is again, you've got to build a business that works for you that works for your own goals, that supports, you know, what you what you want out of your business. And here we are giving you full permission to do so, right? Mm-hmm. Reinvent Absolutely. your channel strategy, show up as yourself online. I think we're really going to see a shift this way in 2024. I'm ready yeah. for it. Me too. Me too. Okay. Let's talk about, I'm, I'm calling this health and wellness flip-flops. We got some wacky things going on in health and wellness, both from the you know brand side, from the consumer side, you know, and and I think no surprise here, Joe. We we're going to see continued focus on health and wellness, right? Yeah. Consumers are more and more educated about what they're consuming. They're more curious, mm-hmm. and frankly, they're more demanding <laughs> about um, what they're putting in their bodies. And this idea that products can be both delicious and functional, they can help them, right? I'm, I imagine that you're seeing this uh, over on your side as well. Yeah, Just 100%. continued growth. Yeah, like uh, interviewed, uh, even on uh, the beauty side, for example, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the buyers are telling me that their consumers know more about the ingredients than ever before. It really started during the pandemic when they had time to really look up everything and, you know, but the combination of there's more access to information and then at the same time, they're focused on health. So they're really cognizant of what they're putting in and on their bodies. So the combination of that is really making them um, a little more uh, picky about the products that they have. And and like you said, they're demanding Mm -hmm. certain things. And that extends to sustainability too. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether sustainable practices and corporate social responsibility, you know, they, they want to know that uh, it's, this, you know, for the most part, you know, you'll have them. They want clean ingredients, sustainably made uh, with with uh, sustainable business practices, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe we'll see more businesses um, move towards B Corp certification in 2024. Mm-hmm. That would be a really cool trend um, yep. in in the year ahead. And so but if it I, tastes like crap. It right. still doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Not, yeah, it's still got to be good. <laughs> it's still got to be good. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe you can sell into the shelf because of the functionality, but those mm-hmm. repeat purchases come from consumers who really love the product. Yeah. And so I think the way I the way I see it is just increased transparency across mm-hmm. the board. Yep. Our, I, I think about it like this. Shoppers especially as products are frankly more and more expensive mm-hmm. shoppers are demanding more and more from their products and yep. more transparency from their brands i think if shoppers are like okay cool like i am willing to pay more money for this but i want more in return um beyond that i think we're also seeing something weird and this is why i'm calling it a flip flop joe yep. i think that we are seeing consumers Yeah, we're seeing the consumers who want clean label everything, simplified ingredients, you know, more transparency, functionality from their product lines. But we're also seeing these consumers, particularly Gen Z and millennials, frankly, over it. They are getting, they are tired of everything claiming to be functional. You know, I've used this example here, like sometimes we just want a potato chip to be a potato chip without saying that it's going to help our stress, our immunity, our digestive tract, right? Like sometimes we just want a chip to be a chip and we no longer need adaptogens in everything. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, I think you're right. It 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 kind of went. It was well, like anything, Again. right? When organic started, boom. You know, everything <laughs> had have. You know, or, yeah, you know, everything. whatever or CBD. All of a sudden, everything had CBD. Yeah. In it. Well, same thing. It's like cleaner, natural. You know, healthier, functional. Now it's like they're sticking it every. You know, but the thing Everywhere. is, just like you said, and there's data to, to uh, point this out too. But you know. And and people like me, I eat very very healthy, but every yeah. once in a while I like a friggin' slice of pizza and oh, a sure. nice ice cream sundae, you know. And so it's so what I'm starting to see along those lines, especially at our sessions, is uh, and right around the corner from me is a Van Leeuwen uh, ice cream mm, store, the uh, yeah. restaurant that just opened. Where I forgot the, some of the slogans that I put out there. I I've actually posted about some of them, but basically they're unabashedly like. All about indulgence. It's like, yeah. we know it's not healthy, you know. So, yeah. and you're seeing that. So it's like, okay, focus is on health and wellness generally. But when you splurge, spl when you're going to indulge, indulge right. Yeah, go yeah. all the way. Go and you're all seeing in. brands come up that it's, they're like basically saying, we ain't for the health, you know, we're for your yeah. indulgence. So when, when you look at it really go off the rails, that's when you buy our stuff. Yeah, exactly. Van Leeuwen is not like claiming that their ice cream makes your skin glow. No, and they po pay, poke fun at uh, like yeah. the health and wellness crowd in their ads. It's like, you know, yeah, it's like I mean, we all know the like $30 smoothies in Southern California that are all about uh, making your skin glow. Yep. And, you know, again, there's an audience for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I think what I really want our listeners to know is, is a, a reassurance, Joe, that if mm -hmm you are not clean label if you're not a functional uh, food brand or okay. you know <laughs> it's okay yeah. there is still room for you <laughs> yeah absolutely in fact Our uh Nielsen IQ presented at one of our sessions and uh, in fact they presented a couple of times and for different categories and the data was the same it was basically they were seeing the strongest growth at both ends of the continuum, the very healthy yep. and the very indulgent. <laughs> yeah. And then in between was kind of slower, but the biggest growth was at the end. So you have both, you have both. Mm. Sometimes it's the same customer. Sometimes it's two different customers. Uh, but I think more and more you're seeing the combination within each, each consumer is that sure. I want to live healthier, but every once in a while I'm going to hang with, you know, uh, my significant other, and we're going to have ice cream sundaes and potato chips and pizza and just watch Netflix or something. That is me. I will raise my hand. I am totally that type of consumer there. One other thing that I predict we'll see more of in 2024 is founders starting to prioritize their own health and wellness as mm -hmm. well. So we talk about it on the consumer side. Yeah, yep. we, we totally understand that. But one of the trends that I'm excited about, Joe, we're seeing it inside of Retail Ready. I'm seeing it, you know, even in my DMs, in my mm -hmm. inbox, that founders are realizing that they need to be healthy in order to have a healthy business. And this you know, awareness that their business's financial growth can't outpace their own personal growth, right? So I'm, I love that we're seeing this increased interest in work-life balance, this prioritization of rest and recovery, mm -hmm. this interest in personal development, coaching, you know, yeah. and I, I think we're, 
this is really echoing our first trend here of brands realizing that they've got to build a business that works for them. They can't build it at the expense of their own health and well-being. So that's something I'm really excited to see in the year ahead. Yeah. And it's kind of almost counterintuitive, but the more well-rounded you are as a person, the better you're going to do in your business and vice versa. So, you know, people, it used to be burn the candle at both ends. Uh, you know, I'll sleep when I die and all that. Yeah. No, now the successful entrepreneurs are the ones that are getting seven or eight hours of sleep. They're eating well. They're getting their rest. They have good connections outside of the office as well. Uh, and then also, I think it's actually shifting from like not so much work-life balance no, as no. work-life harmony. In other words, yeah. you find a way to make them work together where sure, some weeks you're going to put more time into the work, you know, yeah. but then other times you shift the other way. And then if you can make it work together, you know, if you can take a lunch break and do a workout, you know, if yeah. you can, uh, you know, work, find ways of working your business into, you know, like here, here's an example, you know, you, anyone who follows me on LinkedIn knows that I, I'm a big fan of doing the rucking, right? Walking with mm-hmm. the weights and stuff. Well, a lot of times, you know, Kurt, our SVP of marketing, he also enjoys that too. Mm-hmm. So he's out in Ohio. And what we'll do on some mornings is he'll go out to the trails. I'll go out on mine and we'll have a call there. Oh, so, and cool. yeah, so we're spending an hour together. Half, you know, some of it is personal conversation because mm-hmm. we're really good friends, but per- some of it is business. So whenever yeah. you know, I think people are more and more finding ways to stack these behaviors yeah. so that it kind of works. It's like I great. We both got a great workout in. We had a great conversation. We got some work done and I'm starting the day fresh because I just worked out and so did he, which totally. is going to make the rest of my day better. Totally. You know, and I, I really think about this even for myself. I'm like, you know, we start businesses so that we have, you know, more freedom so that we have more impact so that we can maybe spend more time with family or friends or create more wealth in our communities or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. But we can't do that if we're just burnt out, if we're working all the time, you know, we, it just, it doesn't work like that. And so you're less able to handle the tougher times. Exactly. I mean, it becomes, it's, it's ironic, right. That, you know, so many, so many folks who I work with end up not being able to do the very thing that they wanted to do as a result of their business, right? Yeah. So it's this, it can be this tough cycle. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that shift in, in the year ahead, Joe. I think it's, we're overdue for that. And I think people are mm-hmm. finally starting to, to shift there. Yep. And then I've got one more, one more trend I want to talk about for the year ahead. I want to talk about low and no growth, category growth and low and no across mm-hmm. oh, okay. the board here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so here's what I see. So obviously we just talked about health and wellness continuing mm-hmm. to grow in 2024. It is clear that categories that traditionally are deemed right unhealthy, indulgent, mm-hmm. environmentally taxing, right? We're going to, I predict we're going to start to see more innovation here. We're going to start to see more healthy alternatives and we're going to see more of that balance, right? We talked about this pendulum here. We're going to see low impact and no impact products here. So a really clear example is the alcohol category. You know, low and no alcohol categories have just grown exponentially mm-hmm. <laughs> in the past couple of years. I think we're going to obviously see this continue as especially as our culture shifts around drinking. We've seen this in 
cannabis-based products, THC-based products, yep. low and no, um, especially as states shift regulation there. You know, I think people want options, right? The low and yeah. no um, option is appealing for so many as yeah. we're as we're starting to see this cultural. Well, shift. that ties into what we just talked about before too, <clears throat> is that people realize they function better when they're not going home drunk and hung over, yeah. you know, and they're uh, like, here's a great example or two examples. One, we just had our on and off premise adult beverage session in mm. September and yeah. We had our grand tasting, and the winner of most innovative was a no alcohol cocktail yeah. uh, called AF yeah. Drinks, right? Mm. So that was, you know, it's just, it's clear. I see it in retailers, I see the brands, you know, and then there was one brand that we worked with, uh, Blind Tiger Spirit Free Cocktails. Oh, yeah, Retail Ready yeah. Student. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Rebecca. So, yeah, Rebecca, Rebecca she's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Rebecca owned a restaurant. Yes. And she, it was a speakeasy style restaurant, and she yeah. started seeing, People were asking for no alcohol, non-alcoholic yeah. cocktails more and more, not because they're on the wagon, but because of health reasons, you yes. know, or they don't want, you know, or they maybe they'll have to start off with a drink and they'll phase it out, you know. So, and that's what made her, gave her the idea to launch a brand. Yes. And the brand's just exploding, as you know. And uh, so now she sold the restaurant. She's just focusing on the brand, the brand itself and more options for it. I love it. I love it. I mean, Joe, I literally was out for drinks with a friend. It was a Tuesday mm -hmm. and we're sitting at this bar. It's this beautiful, like curved bar. And there are 10 of us at the bar. And I start chatting with the bartender. Eight out of the 10 of us sitting around this <clears throat> bar on a Tuesday night, were drinking low and no cocktails. Yeah. And more bars ha have them on the menus now, yeah, too. Thank you goodness. don't have to I mean, ask for them. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. That really makes me excited as well. Um, yeah, but it was wild to be like, oh, my God, 80% of the people at this yeah. bar, at this, like, really well-known cocktail bar, <laughs> mm -hmm. are choosing to have a low or no experience. It's really fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the same thing, by the same token, you mentioned allergen-free you know, there's yeah. a uh, the restaurant I hang out at all the time, Thirsty Koala. They are famous for their gluten-free options. Now, I'm mm -hmm. not, I have no issues with gluten, mm -hmm. but they have some of the best, like, gluten-free pasta I've tried, mm -hmm. bread. Interesting. And, um, you know, it's just, there there are a lot of people that choose gluten-free for health reasons outside of celiac disease. Totally. Totally. Because they just feel better, right? I think yeah. it goes back to like feeling better in your body. And so I think we're going to see this low and no idea beyond just the beverage category, right? Mm -hmm. Low and no animal-based proteins mm -hmm. are going to continue to grow. Brands that have low or no carbon footprint or environmental mm -hmm. impact. I think yep. I really want our listeners, even if you're not a beverage company, let's think about the way low and no might, might apply to your own own category yeah. um and, and just really less just... ingredients in general too yeah, less, yeah. Less simplified, simplified yeah. things absolutely you know i i think it's it's all based off this consumer's demand for more out of our products right mm -hmm. they they want to know you know more transparency more connection more functionality more indulgence whatever mm -hmm. it is our yep. consumers are asking for more in 2024 and sometimes that more is less. Is less. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. So Joe, I think that, you know, again, we're gonna see we're gonna see a mix of 
a little bit of bad news, a little bit of tough news yeah. that in the end is just going to make us stronger in 2024. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to impact our our channel strategies. And on the flip side, we're going to see lots of room for growth and opportunity in our industry, right? New innovation, growth in these better for you categories. I mean, gosh, we didn't even talk about this, but new AI to support retail yeah, experiences. I mean, we, yeah, we could. Just, I'm sure there's topics we're leaving off the table that we can. Yeah. You know, AI is a whole big area that we can yep. just do a whole uh, go down a rabbit hole with that. Um, you know, there's there's just so much that uh, we could cover, but I think we hit some really good ones. Yeah. Uh, there is Agreed. one thing I wanted to add. Yeah, uh, and this is more just recommendations because now with in-person going back, not just with ECRM, mm-hmm. but all the in-person events yeah. are back in full force for brands out there, especially new brands that were, you know, during COVID. Don't forget that you can learn so much from networking with other brands too mm-hmm. at these events. I did an yeah. interview a little while ago with a brand specifically about the benefits of networking with because there's, you know, you've been cooped up. We've all been doing yeah. virtual. And a lot of times you don't have that networking opportunity during virtual. I mean, the virtual, um, uh, what do you call it? Happy hours. They yeah. died after like a month or two oh, months. Oh, for sure. You know, like, don't make me go to one. <laughs> yeah. So those things kind of died out. But the thing is, now that you're in person, when you're at a uh, an event uh, or an ECRM session, don't just, I mean, sure, you, have, you the meetings with the buyers are key. You want those. But also, don't ignore the other suppliers, their resources that you have. Pick their brains. See what best practices you could share with them. Maybe you were successful in one area that they have a challenge in and vice versa. Pick each other's brains, learn from each other. I mean, that's what your retail ready community is all about, too. Um, They just forget in person. If they go in person, you know, their resources there, too. Yeah. And I'll just drop a little thing here, Joe. We've got a podcast coming up that is all about trade shows for introverts. And, uh, you know, so I I imagine some of our listeners on the other side are like, Joe, you know, like, I hear you. I want to do that. But like trade shows already take it all out of me. Like I don't have anything mm-hmm. left. I'm an introvert. How do I actually show up at an in-person event mm-hmm. and get, you know, get what I need from those when I like truly am a, on, an introvert on the inside. So we've got a really great podcast. Episode uh, coming I definitely want to listen to that one. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a really, really good. Cause one. I'm the opposite. Uh-huh. I feed off of the energy <laughs> of, of people in the room, you know, yeah. but I do, I, I will throw one thing out there. Yeah, that you could uh, toss around with them is is just be genuinely curious. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's it. Absolutely. You know, ask ask questions, yeah. but you know because you want to, because you want to learn. Nobody right. will ever fault you for asking. There are no dumb questions. The only dumb question is the one you don't ask. Yeah, yeah. So with that, Joe, let's let's challenge our listeners here as we wrap up the pod. I'm curious about our listeners and what trends they want to see in 2024 as well. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching this video on social, send us a DM, send us a message on LinkedIn. All of this is in the show notes. Leave a comment below and tell us what you want to see more of in 2024. Joe, I feel like you and I have a lot of influence in this industry. We'll see what we can do to make it happen for our listeners. Awesome. 
That's a great question to end with. <laughs> great. Joe, thank you for being here with me. Thank you for being such a great supporter of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. And I can't wait to hang out with you more in 2024. Yes. And we'll get together in person again yes. soon. Perfect. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode, my whizzes. So I want to know which trends are you most excited about for the year ahead? Come let Joe and me know by tagging us on social media or come show up directly in our messages. You're going to find our contact information in the show notes as always. And as a reminder, there will not be a new episode next week. The entire Food Biz Whiz team and I work reduced hours over the holiday week. So this is a great time to... I don't know, catch up on past episodes, wrap up your year, or maybe commit to joining us in Retail Ready so you are set to pitch again come January. Or frankly, you might simply rest next week. We've got resources for each of these options in our show notes. So my listeners, I hope you have a wonderful end to your 2023. Happy holidays. Thank you as always for listening and sharing and rating and reviewing and supporting this podcast. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Whiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.